more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners, or I guess good morning for that matter. It's the 27th of March, 2020, and you're listening to the Inspiration Dissemination podcast. I'm Kayla Delventhal, and I'll be your host for this evening. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study, and here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. Tonight's podcast will be the first of a special series covering COVID-19, and its impact on the research and lives of our OSU community. We hope that this podcast will be an avenue of human connection and inspiration during a more isolated time. So if you're a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show and speaking about your experience or you just want to find out more about the stories and research of fellow graduate students at OSU, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration where you can sign up for the show, read about our up and coming guests and find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Lastly, should they occur, any opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or the KBVR Corvallis Station. All right, so this week we are switching things up in a couple of ways, and today we're inviting on an OSU undergraduate, well, soon to be graduate student, Joaquin Rodriguez, uh, onto our show. Joaquin is a unique student at OSU. He's an international student all the way from Lima, Peru, and he also studies viruses in the Barbar lab. Joaquin, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to be good. So as I said, Joaquin studies viruses, so we want to address the elephant in the room and talk about coronavirus. Before coronavirus changed things, what was the big question that your research was looking to solve? Um, I'm more looking into the host-pathogen interaction side of the picture. So I, the big question that I try to address is how the viruses hijack host machinery to be able to reproduce because uh, viruses are not able to, um, you know, unlike us or like bacteria, they're not able to reproduce without the host. They're obligate parasites. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll dip in a little bit more to Joaquin's research as well. But for now, uh, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we're with someone that studies viruses and, and ask you, um, do you think that the general public has a good understanding how this virus, uh, coronavirus or COVID-19, works within and against the human body? So I don't think people are much aware of how this virus works. Um, when the virus enters the body, it will enter through the upper respiratory system. Let's say you can inhale it from the nose. It can also come in through your eyes and it can make its way down to your throat and then, and then progressively start spreading around your respiratory tract. So what happens first is the virus 
binds to specific re respiratory cells that have like specific, uh, the term is receptors, but it's mostly like doors. It's like a specific door that the virus has a key to. And that is only found in the respiratory tract. And so like uh, the virus comes in, it releases its genome, it starts replicating inside, and then it makes progeny out of the cell, and then it kills the cell. Okay. Uh, so it progressively starts killing uh, your respiratory cells, but that's not really the main cause of the symptoms. Like many of the symptoms are actually an immune response. The immune system is aware that there's a virus that has never been seen before. You know, it's like the start of the war. For example, cause fever, fever, inflammation. That's why uh, a lot of people have sore throats. Um, yeah, and, and and in the end, that will also produce a lot of mucus, which like then leads to respiratory complications. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot. Of, a lot of the symptoms are actually produced by the immune system. Is that why everybody's response might be a little bit different? Because the symptoms that we see are not exactly the virus itself, but how your body is responding? Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, there's like a lot of factors influencing okay. how you may react. Um, and it's it's been shown to be pretty much unpredictable. Unpredictable. Yeah. 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 So my understanding of a virus is it's pretty much just like a little bit of uh, genetic information in the form of RNA, right? Just right. in some sort of protein casing, how is something like that, that is actually debated as not even living, how is that able to wreak havoc on our bodies? What is, what is it doing? Right, <laughs> right. So the coronavirus is an RNA virus, as you said, but there's uh, viruses that have different types of genetic material. So oh, like okay. we have DNA as, you know, humans um, or like animals or like living things, mm -hmm. but viruses can have, you know, RNA they can have RNA of a single strand, of a double strand, you know, uh, they can have DNA like us. So it's like a lot of variety and different evolutionary pathways. And yes, it is not considered alive, but that's like super controversial. Yeah. I am taking the side that they are alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I sort of agree. I feel like the way that they just want to replicate. Yeah. I guess you can't say they want to, but they are. It's the, a goal. Yeah. They're replicating. It's pretty yeah. living. Yeah, so the main argument I would say that people are using to not consider it alive is uh, because it cannot replicate by itself. It needs a host, mm. right? So they obligate parasites, but they're able to hijack the host and replicate. So, like, the argument is, like, the means to replication, but it manages to do that, right? So mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's just... I don't know, this is this might not be the correct term, but it's kind of like smarter. Yeah. <laughs> because like it's able to not code for all the machinery that's needed for replication, mm -hmm. but it's able to hijack that from the host. It does sound pretty smart. Yeah. 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 And yeah. what what makes coronavirus different from other viruses? Is it similar to ones that you've studied? Uh it's yeah, I also study RNA viruses, but coronavirus is bigger. It's it, the biggest RNA virus I think one of the biggest, at least, in terms of genome. So, yeah, I would say coronavirus is bigger, and RNA is very unstable. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of the RNA viruses mutate really fast. That is the case of, let's say, rabies virus, measles. But coronavirus is not mutating as fast, because it's it has 
it's it's a way bigger size and it has like a larger genome and mm -hmm. and it also codes for proofreading machinery so like oh. it has proofreading when it replicates it won't mutate as fast i think that's a good thing oh that's but, interesting but it's an evolution evolutionary mechanism right like mutations are not always gonna make the virus more infectious it can also huh. you know so that's a that's a really interesting point actually yeah. we think of mutation as a real advantage for viruses that they can change and like jump hosts right but then also if they're mutating too fast then it's going to be really detrimental yeah yeah okay. if you think about it the virus will infect the cell and then it will replicate and replicate like cool. let's say a hundred times and if the virus is has like terrible replication machinery maybe those a hundred those hundred times are going to be like all detrimental for the virus so they're, okay. they're going to be all defective and the virus cannot spread because the next the progeny is not going to be effective mm -hmm. so there needs to be some sort of conservation but if there's too much conservation then there's going to be immunity and it's never going to change and right. you know, we're going to be eradicating the virus without even the need of a vaccine right? interesting yeah what does make this coronavirus so successful because in a previous conversation we talked about different viruses and you brought up that ebola is actually sort of like a dumb virus in a way <laughs> because it's so aggressive i thought that was a really interesting comparison uh yeah, yeah. what is what is this one so special i would say the first advantage is that it's completely new to the population so no one has immunity um, and that's what's making it spread really fast besides its transmissibility. Um, so the fact that you can uh, breathe next to someone and then you can get the virus is, makes it really easy to, uh, you know, for transmission. For example, Ebola is a virus that actually gets transmitted through fluids. Um, and, and it's also very deadly, so people who get Ebola are very likely to die and have less opportunity of spreading the virus. So that's, that's a strategy that's, you know, not, not the most effective one. Right. <laughs> it's kind of a dumb virus. But, um, it, yeah, it's just two different strategies. Okay. Um, I also noticed that I, at least, have been using the terms coronavirus and COVID-19 uh, pretty interchangeably. And my parents actually asked me the other day when I was talking to them on the phone, like, what's the difference? And I wasn't very quick to an answer. So I'm going to ask you, what is the difference? Uh, yeah, sure. So it's like kind of the same thing as HIV and AIDS. Uh, AIDS is a disease and HIV is the virus that causes the disease. So uh, for this case would be coronavirus would be the virus um, and COVID-19 would be the disease. But me personally, I don't like the referring as having to this virus as just coronavirus because it's coronaviridae is a virus, it's a, a family of viruses. So it's just like calling me by my last name, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of coronaviruses that uh, many people know about, like SARS, the original SARS, uh, this is called SARS-2. Um, but yeah, so people just call it coronavirus because it's apparently it was a meme, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they, they were doing memes of like the corona beer and coronavirus at the beginning and just right. like a stick. <laughs> it just stuck. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. 
Interesting. All right. Um, so another question is on the topic of treatment options. There's a little bit of buzz going around about that. Do we have any promising vaccines or treatments or cures that you know of? Uh, yeah, there is a vaccine that's now in the phase one of clinical trials. So that's promising. Mm-hmm. What's um, phase one? Phase one is uh, the, when they first starting with human human uh, oh, okay. trials. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're giving to patients. Um, and they the whole goal of the clinical st- studies, uh, clinical trials, is to make sure that uh, the vaccine, it has no, you know, like, first that it works mm-hmm. and that it's specific enough and then that it has no other complications to right. humans, right? Um, but it's it's a really long process for right now. It's just entered uh, uh, phase one and then it has to go through the whole process and that might take about a year. Mm. So I don't see a vaccine happening in, in you know, uh, sooner than a year from now. Right. Um, but it's it's a very interesting story because this vaccine actually was developed from a lab that studied coronaviruses like SARS and MERS uh, for like 10 years and they were so um, quick at just uh, developing a gene therapy vaccine and submitting it in, in just 60 days. Like it's it's record. Like I think yeah. uh, to for something to be ready for clinical trials, it usually takes like six nine months and the fastest case but this was super fast and that's how fast we're going now yeah Um, yeah and as for treatments right now well there's the uh the serum option where people are you know people who are cured of the virus they have a strong immune response against it and um they have this molecules in their blood called antibodies the antibodies are going to stick to the virus and are not going to let it uh, infect another cell, uh, basically neutralizing it or even targeting it for being degraded by other cells in the immune system. So that's a treatment option. Um, people are, the FDA actually pre-approved, like it actually approved it um, um, to just purify serum of patients who are cured and then purifying the antibodies and then getting the antibodies and then uh, tr- transfusing it to a patient that's ill. Mm-hmm. And, and that would make it better for sure. And it's it's working. <laughs> that yeah. that sort of reminds me of how we develop anti-venom for snake bites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll, you inject the snake venom into a horse and then um, draw blood from the horse and basically purify and get the, the antibodies that the horse body the horse's body created. And then that's what we use when humans get... Yeah. That's very simplified and probably a little wrong, but that's the general idea. <laughs> yeah. It kind of sounds like that. Yeah, you bring an interesting point because uh, mammal antibodies are really, you know, I mean, antibodies are just universal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they're trying to um, maybe produce in a large scale of like mouse monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies and, and start selling it as a... Right treatment option that would be super expensive mm-hmm. but it's what we got now um and yeah because if if you purify antibodies from someone's blood then you you're gonna need way more than that like you're right. gonna need litters to just you yeah. know to get enough 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's working. It's, it's, it's better than nothing, for yeah. sure. But I think if we are able to produce them, like, in, in, in a large scale, like, from a mouse or, you know, mm-hmm. like some, some other kind of organism that can give us antibodies, that would be right. Yeah. So So we have something that sort of works, but there's the issue of scale yeah. in that case. Yeah. What about, I cannot remember the name, but I have heard on the news, for an example, some drugs that are being promoted in a way by the president. And I was wondering if those have been proven or shown to be effective. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, there's hydroxychloroquine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you have the memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a treatment. Um, people are criticizing it, you know, like as soon as the president tweets about it, it's like, <laughs> yeah, right. not valid anymore uh, or it's questionable but um, it's it's actually been shown to work mm-hmm. at least 100% in vitro which means uh, just in like cultured cells or organoids they have like very nice systems of like mimicking um, respiratory cells in oh, a petri okay. dish and so they that's where they screen for drugs and mm-hmm. They were screening for drugs that we already had in the market because, like, releasing a new drugs, you know, clinical trials a year from now. So yeah, that would be yeah, we would better it would be better off if we use a drug that we already have. Um, and this uh, chloroquine, the anti-malaria drug, was really successful in like preventing viral entry to the cells. So it's a treatment. I mean, that that for sure is true. Uh, the thing, the controversy comes when they move to like uh, clinical trials. Like the, when they try it in humans, in patients, uh, they have seen also a reduction. And I think that's valid, but their controls are kind of messed up. So statistically, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good that we're doing this drug repurposing, right. which is... Uh, you know, it can help. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We should explore but, all the options. Yeah. But there... we don't know if it's, if it really works. Okay. Yeah. 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 Are there any other myths that you have noticed floating around in the media or between friends <laughs> oh, about <God>. coronavirus? <laughs> yeah. There's way too many. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think many people here have WhatsApp. But that's a really, really potent way of like spreading false rumors and false information. Um, Does it work like Snapchat? Uh, not really. It's just like a texting app. Okay. But you, you're able to forward messages to whoever you want. I think mm. that's like text text messages. So, but, but I mean, people do these like chains of messages, and and they say like, hey, this doctor said that we should eat this plant and we will never be infected by a coronavirus. That's totally false, right? Uh, there's like a lot of myths that are, that are going uh, around because like it's easy to spread information these mm-hmm. days. Um, for example, uh, there's some people saying that alkaline diet uh, is going to prevent the virus because the virus has a specific pH range. Oh, okay. And if you eat, uh, let's say, uh, more like basic alkaline alkaline foods uh you're gonna be able to like uh you know get your ph the, the blood higher and that will prevent the virus from entering the cells but wow okay it, i haven't heard that one but the... that that's a really crazy one yeah. um it, clearly these 
people don't understand how pH regulation works. I... But it's, yeah. It's I guess, like, it, yeah, it takes some science literacy. Yeah. That it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's supposed to be a doctor. Like, it's like doctor mm. someone said that this okay. is helpful. And then people okay. spreading it around. Okay, and then it just goes viral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you would need, you would need to get your pH to ranges where you wouldn't be alive if you wanted to prevent oh. the virus uh, from entering your cells using just pH regulation. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one. Um, there's another one about, um, you know, saying that the virus, that there's no immunity against the virus. And uh, we just talked about an FDA approval treatment option with antibodies that are produced as an immune response, right? So uh -huh. I, I think that clears the air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it, there is a strong immune response. Um, you will have, I mean, if you have it, I think, I think a lot of people will have it. Like it's, it's going to be more common and common and survivors will have uh, about six to 15 years of immunological memory against this virus, which oh. is which is really nice. Um, and you're going to have like a lot of antibodies flowing through the blood for like a year. Yeah. So like false rumors, uh, are just like spreading panic mostly, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's probably easy for false information to circulate in a time when people are really scared and everybody really wants information, <laughs> Yeah, know, which is fair. Yeah. You know? Have you heard about the myth about this virus being made by the Chinese government? I have not, <laughs> okay. but I am not surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's clearly, that is also false. <laughs> yeah. We probably don't even need to rationalize why that would be false. <laughs> well, actually there's like enough evidence of it being linked to SARS-1, the hmm. first SARS, uh, enough that it's not called SARS-2 so like we cannot oh. trace it down to where it came from and it's it came from a bat uh, just like SARS-1 and mm -hmm. it even likely like maybe people studying or sampling the bats got exposed to a mutant oh that's a interesting single mutant particle and then that got inhaled and then it starts spreading yeah, yeah that's how it starts yeah yeah interesting I hadn't heard of that theory that it might even have been like a researcher. Yeah, yeah. It might, might be someone studying viruses. Yeah. <laughs> that would be quite ironic. ironic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. Well, let's, let's transition a little bit. I'm curious about uh, how your research has been affected by this coronavirus outbreak. Has anything been put on hold? Are you still able to trudge forward in researching mm. outside of the lab? Um, short answer, no. Mm. Um, everything shut down until who knows when right. um at least classes are shut down for the whole term and we know that so right that's... online online i mean yeah yeah so presential classes but yeah yeah uh and the lab is um so my lab kind of wants to jump in to studying coronavirus we're interested and we're trying to discuss that so if we jump in i think we would be allowed because it's if, you know it's essential yeah, to understand timely. More. Yeah, but who knows? Yeah. Right. I guess we, we already mentioned that classes changed to online. I, I was wondering if your life as a student at OSU, OSU has changed in response to these societal changes that are necessary to control the outbreak, like social distancing. Yeah, completely. I, I think I was... I was a little bummed because I'm, I'm a senior and mm -hmm. this would be my last term. And we're just like, you know, 
getting to know each other in the class that we're graduating together. And we had like a couple of event events where like the whole class kind of uh, hung out at you know for the first time and we all liked it and we were like getting along. Mm-hmm. Like, but now with all this, like we're not able to do that anymore, and, and it's yeah. it's kind of sad. So we'll be like pausing all the friendships. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. You maybe spark some new <laughs> friendships, and now we have to get creative to keep them alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Also graduation. Um, oh. Yeah. So I I think we just got an email today about commencement, and and we're we're supposed to vote whether we wanted to do it via Zoom. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> or like a, a video commencement thing, or uh, changing it to the fall. Um, or just canceling it. Um, I don't know what I want. <laughs> I think if it's in the fall, I won't be here. So. And you plan to go to graduate school? Yeah. At what university? At NYU. NYU. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you expect those plans to be altered? Um, yeah. There's no way of knowing. I I feel like the projections are that by fall everything should be. Not completely normal, but like stable enough for us to, right. you know, start school, hopefully. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of travel restrictions. For example, I wanted to go home to Peru, um, but the president just shut down the borders and there's no oh. flights landing in there. Um, okay, so that's off the table, right? That's off the table for now, um, yeah. at least for a month, and then we'll see. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Yeah, I, I was thinking, so as I mentioned, Joaquin is from Peru and... Right now, a lot of students, if they're not already, are at home with their families. And um, if you had the choice to stay in Corvallis or go back to Peru for the next couple of months or however long this pans out, um, yeah, would you go home? Yeah, I think I'm still planning on that. Um, I think it's it's good. It has been good timing overall because they're on like complete lockdown there. Uh, I mean, we we are too, but right. Uh, it's like way more strict. Like if you go out of your house to walk your dog, they can arrest you. So it's oh. it's like and it's like really like criminal charges. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's, it's kind of nuts, but it's what what you know. I I feel like it's good. I feel yeah. like it's gonna stop it. What needs to happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, here I've been able to like you know take a walk to the forest, uh, and I think the governor allows like isolated activities still mainly staying home i i think i will try to go to peru once this whole craziness is over right yeah sounds like that's the way it has to be with the borders <laughs> shut down yeah, yeah so yeah uh, for all the people listening in corvallis i guess we can be a little extra grateful that we have a little bit more freedom to get outside yeah it's nice but but stay home <laughs> yeah but also stay home <laughs> um h- how are you are you staying in contact with your family uh yeah yeah we're actually you know they're bored <laughs> yeah <laughs> as is everybody so like uh right. many calls a day is coming now i think that's it's kind of nice and interesting yeah i feel like everybody's starting to get creative and and, and get together via either Zoom or like other ha- mm-hmm. uh, other apps. There's there's this app that my friends are using in Lima. It's called House Party. House Party? Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's sort of like Snapchat but with video calls. So you can do like group calls and and, cool, like, and play games together mm-hmm. uh, while seeing each other's face and 
and yeah, it's it's kind of nice. So you've been pretty connected with people back home. Yeah, even more than I was before. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been noticing that too. I'm calling my parents so much more right. than I regularly would. Right. I think people. I wonder if it will change the way people interact after this is over. Yeah, it's it's super hard to tell. I think no hugs for like a couple of years. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Not 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 years, but. Who knows how long? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think when when all this is over, like everybody's just gonna go out and and just celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is uh, is there any other things or any other strategies that you're doing to cope with the isolation, relax a little bit? Surfing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I surf. Um, I have been surfing for. 12 years now mm-hmm. um and and yeah that's 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 my way of coping with stress with like you know anything difficult in life it's just like, right it's like a nice escape that i have so it always um, has been and now it's still nice because you tend to be isolated in the ocean yeah yeah on the surfboard luckily <laughs> uh yeah luckily I, i'm still able to do that in lima people are are going crazy like mm-hmm. surfers you know a month without surfing and and they're like and they're trying to like stay healthy and stay like fit for whenever right. the waves are good and they're able to go out again <laughs> have you yeah. started to face any challenges or barriers to getting out to the ocean yeah i think right as of this monday i think uh south beach state park is closed mm-hmm. which is one of the favorite uh places i like to go to go surfing and that's closed now but other than that, I think we're pretty, pretty isolated, like, in Newport mm-hmm. at least. Like, there's not such a big surfing community as it is in California right. or, like, in Peru, right? So, so at least we're able to, like, surf and be far away from people. Mm-hmm. Joaquin and other surfing friends had told me that when they went surfing the other day, when they left the water, there was go back to the valley written in the sand. And on the one hand... I feel that sentiment. People on the coast are really scared yeah. that um, people from the valley or Corvallis might be bringing coronavirus while surfing. Yeah. How, how do you feel about that experience? Um, it was very... I I wasn't in the water when that happened, but uh, I, I my roommate got in a passive vibe of a local kind of like telling us to go home yeah. uh, and stay quarantined in the valley. Um, and yeah, you're right. I totally get it. Um, but I feel like that was more of an act of like, get away from my beach. These are my waves. Like I'm mm. using this quarantine to surf a little bit. Oh, okay. And Maybe now... a deeper surf <laughs> community thing happening. Yeah. Right? It's localism. Okay. That's, that's, that's a thing in surfing really. Interesting. Yeah. I did feel like it spoke a little bit to this, uh, challenge of trying to stay healthy and get outside, but also playing our part in isolating yeah. as we really need to, to help uh, you know, mitigate the huge problem that this virus is yeah, totally. having on, on all of us. Okay, well, before we wrap up this interview on Inspiration Dissemination, we have two traditions. And although we currently are not live on the radio, as we usually are, we still want to keep those traditions alive. So the first is that you offer a piece of advice for our listeners. And um, this advice can be directed towards any audience of your choosing and can be any sort of advice that resonates with you. So what do you have for us, Joaquin? Uh, I would say be careful with 
where you read information regarding COVID-19. It's really easy to fall in like the false media, false new, fake news. Um, but also, don't panic. Uh, <laughs> I think that's that's the main message. I think um, this is these are hard times for sure, and there's and it's dangerous. But I would say first, stay home, stay calmed, and I think this all shall pass. At yeah, some point. I yeah. like that piece of advice. It's like yeah. we should be informed and mindful of what's happening, but also stay calm. Yeah, <laughs> I I think something I do just to you know uh, for my peace of mind is. Whenever I look at statistics, I like to see, instead of how many people die, how many people have cured. Mm. And just think that all those people are now probably immune against the virus and they just can forget about it, right? And, and you know, mm-hmm. um, that's, that, yeah, that's what I like to do. Right. Thinking yeah. optimistically. Yeah. Like, instead of feeling also like, oh, I'm trapped in my house, we can think of... This is a very unique opportunity to have time to myself or learn something new. Yeah. I like that. Um, And our second tradition is that you offer a song, if you have one ready, that we can tell listeners to check out. All right. So I shouldn't sing it. (laughs) No, no, you don't have to sing it. Definitely not. Okay. Um, This is a hard one. Um, I would like to suggest maybe... Jack Johnson, I think one of my favorite songs is uh, Talk of the Town. It's a really nice, calm song that I like in these stressful days. Uh, so we can play it or I can just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to play it or definitely go check it out. Yeah. Um, I do love that song. It's a perfect one. Oh, you, you like it? Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much, Joaquin. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope our audience did as well. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was very mm-hmm. uh, interesting, yeah. interesting <laughs> conversation. Thank you. Totally. Well, with that, I now thank all of you for listening, and I hope that you're all healthy and happy and finding some time to tap back into the things that you love. So until next time. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamath. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.